tonight I want to talk about, the title of my message is the, the Point That Precedes Your Praise. The Point That Precedes Your Praise. Um, because I see kind of praise as a spiritual taking off, you know, like an aeroplane. It takes off into the air. And I, I've always felt that about prayer and praise because you take off um, into, a, into another dimension, into another atmosphere, and you get a new perspective on things, a higher perspective. You actually get a bigger and better view of what's happening. Um, and that's how I see praise. It actually gives you that heavenly perspective. It shows you reality. You get that bird's eye view of your circumstance and you get, a, you get an added kind of a revelation of how big God is and what His intentions are and what His heart is. So it's a bit like an aeroplane and, you know, I love watching those air crash investigation shows, right? They are like my favourite shows. I love them. I've watched them all. Whenever they're on TV, forget it. I'm there watching it. But for a plane to take off, there are certain things it has to do. There are certain points it has to reach, right? So the first point it has to reach is it has to taxi to the runway, Okay. The second thing a plane has to do is um, it has to apply full power. Once it gets to this point, it has to reach this point, which is applying full power. Um, they release the brakes and it goes. We've all been there. We know when it happens. You know, they've done that weird safety briefing. I still don't know why they do that. But boom, it's off. It's going. And um, the pilot has to just keep it centered on that line in the middle of the tarmac. You know, it's trying to reach another point, which is, and I'll get to that in a second, but while it's going at full power, the pilot sets the flaps. And I'm sure a lot of you have looked out the window when, when the plane's going down the runway and the flaps are coming out. You know, and it's doing that because it's trying to get some lift under the wings. And that's... That's the next thing the pilot does until it reaches this point here, which is, it reaches VR speed, they call it. That's the speed at which the plane can actually take off. Before it reaches VR speed, the plane cannot take off. If they try to take off, they'll probably crash. So they have this dialogue in the, in the cockpit. They agree beforehand, before they actually do any of this, what's our VR speed? Once they reach it, someone co-pilot, the other one, first officer, whatever his name is, says VR speed, they confirm it. And then they can actually pull the yoke. And they can take off. And that's how a plane does it. So there's a process to it. And they have to reach each one of these points in this sequence. And if they don't, they're going to be in trouble. Right? There's no point trying to pull the yoke if they're not even on the runway. And they're not. there's no point trying to reach the VR speed if you're still at the terminal because that's going to be a disaster and there's no point trying to pull the yoke if you haven't deployed your flaps and there's actually quite a few um, actually a lot of examples I was just kind of looking at this before in 1988 the Delta Airlines flight 1141 crashed on takeoff because the pilot forgot to deploy the flaps he didn't get to that point. He got all to the other all the other points, but he forgot the flaps. And it's amazing how many times that's happened. There are numer numerous crashes 
because the pilots just forgot to deploy the flaps. In 99, 65 people um, died on, now this is Linnaeus Ereas Privadas Argentinas, right? Argentinian flight, 3142 crashed. Again, no flaps. Didn't reach that point or forgot that point. 2011, a professional Russian hockey team and all their crew flying for an international tournament, they crashed because the pilot tried to take off without reaching the VR speed. He didn't get to that point and he tried to take off and there just wasn't enough lift and it crashed and they all died, the whole hockey team. So each point kind of precedes the other and if you don't reach it, it doesn't end well. And praise is a bit like that. Our praise is a bit like that. And I'm not saying if you don't praise the right way, it's going to be a disaster and it, you're going to crash land and die or anything like that. But the point to it is there's certain points we have to meet to really take off with God. And if we don't meet those points, those certain points, then it's, it's not really going to work as well as it should. So one point precedes another. And Jesus gives us those points in the Our Father, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. First one, Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And that's kind of where I see the praise. That's takeoff. When we start saying, hallowed be your name, our hands lifted up. The name of Jesus be lifted high. The name of Jesus be magnified. That's hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And I think that's an extension of that. And it goes on, and we know the rest. Give us this day our daily bread. I know it's sacrilege. I've shortened it just for space. No one blog about it tomorrow, please. But that's the Our Father. The prayer Jesus taught us. He said, this is the sequence. This is the process. These are the points you need to get to in prayer and in praise. And hallowed be your name. I see that as praise. And Matthew chapter 9, verse um, 7 to 9. Jesus says this. If we can get that up on the screen. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verse, oh, okay, maybe I got the, the scripture reference wrong. I'll just pull it up. I've got it written down here. Just one sec. Jesus says this. He says, when you pray, do not keep, keep on babbling like pagans, for they, they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for they will be heard. Uh, do not be like them because they think they will be hurt because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you have before you ask Him. And then He says, this then is how you should pray. And He gives us the process. Our Father in heaven. That's what He says. This is how you should pray. Our Father. This then is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Jesus is trying to make a distinction here. He's trying to say, if you don't get this right, 
Because he says, I want to make a distinction here. And in the previous paragraph, he mentions father about five or six times. And he's trying to make this distinction. If you don't do this, if you take this out, the our father, chances are you're going to pray like a pagan. Because I think you can say those words, you can babble those words all you want. But if you don't reach this point, if you don't reach the first point, and that's the distinction Jesus is making. If you don't reach that first point of our Father, then you're in trouble. Because you're not going to get to hallowed be your name. You're not actually going to get to take off. You're not going to be able to praise Him if you don't get this point first. That is the first step, recognizing Him as our Father. And that is what shook everyone around Jesus. Hang on a sec, no one's called God Father before. What's He doing? What's this new prayer He's trying to teach us? What's He trying to do here? God isn't our Father. God is this... this powerful, reverent, uh, you know, being we've got to approach with reverence. He's on his throne and, you know, untie your sandals. before. He's not a father. And Jesus is saying, no, the first thing I want you to understand about God is his father. He's a father. He's a father. So the point that precedes your praise, the point that precedes your praise is seeing God as our Father. That's the point that precedes our praise. Can we give Jesus a hand for that? So, you can either um, see Him as your Father, and if you don't, and, and what God's saying is His family. He's calling you to a family relationship. And if, if it's not Father then it's, a, it's not a family relationship. The person who you're approaching for all this stuff, the person you're asking for for your daily bread, if it's not our father, then it, it's someone else who isn't family. It's someone else who isn't family. And I'll give us an example. It's probably going to be someone like our landlord, right? Like think about living in a house. You can either live in a house with someone who's your family or you can live in a house with someone who's your landlord, okay? And with, you can live in that house under a landlord and you're a boarder. You can be a boarder. And in that situation, there are rules. If you abide by those rules, if you perform, if you pay the rent, then you're accepted. Perform and you're accepted, right? That's the landlord if you're boarding. However, if you are family, if you are a son or a daughter living with a loving mother or father, there are no rules. There are no rules. No one comes up to you and says, hey, you haven't paid the week this rent, you're, the rent this week, you're out. In a family, the paradigm is completely different. It's, hey, you're here whether you perform or not. And it's because of that that we actually we are compelled to perform because we do feel loved and we get it. But in a business relationship where it's a border 
and a landlord type of relationship, it's all based on your performance. And God is saying, no, 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 that's not the kind of relationship I want with you. I want it to be father and son. I want it to be father and son, not landlord and tenant, not landlord and boarder. And so Jesus says, if you don't do it like this with our father, then you're going to be babbling. He says the pagans, the pagans don't have that. They've probably got that and they babble. And babbling means empty, anxious words. So they're actually saying, hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name, praising him. But they're actually, those words that they're saying are actually anxious and they're empty. Because unless he is your father, unless he is your father, you can't praise him. Unless he is your father, you can't praise him, right? Because say you are a tenant in a house, right? And, the le- and you pay your landlord the rent. You're not cheering the next day going, woohoo, oh my gosh, I'm living in this house. Because you paid the rent. You deserve to be there. There's no praising your landlord. Oh my goodness, thank you for, for letting me stay here. Because you've paid your rent. You've paid your dues. But it's only when it's a a different paradigm, when it's a father, where you go, oh my goodness, I'm here without even paying rent. Someone, he has actually paid the rent for me and he lets me be here. I'm here with him. Isn't that incredible? Can we thank Jesus for that? So that either if it's, not God, in, if it's not our Father, our prayers are going to be anxious, right? They're going to be empty. They're going to be anxious because, or you're going to be angry because you're going to be saying, hang on. Actually, this is a good way to test it out. When this doesn't get answered, right? When this doesn't get answered, give us this day our daily bread or, or some other thing you're praying for. If you... If you get angry and cold, it's probably because you've been looking at God as a landlord and saying, hang on, God, I'm angry because I've been paying the rent. I've been paying the rent and you're not doing your side of the bargain. So it's difficult to praise Him. Or your prayers aren't being answered and you're feeling guilty. Yeah, that's right. performing better then maybe I would get my daily bread so they're either going to be cold or anxious unless it's father unless it's our father it's our father you know he says talking to a guy this morning who came and kind of grabbed me before I 
left. And he goes, look, you know, we're living in this arrangement. We're living with my brother's, uh, with my wife's brother. He's young. We're looking after him. He's under 18. Um, but we've got to formalize it because the Navy's going to, the Navy's going to kick him out of our place or they're not going to give us a new place um, because he's not, our, he's not our son. So we need to put the formal arrangements in place to make him our son. We have to change his status from a brother to a son and then he can stay in the house. And you know, that's similar for us. God says, hey, when you, when you put your faith in Jesus... When you say yes to Jesus, there's an instant status change. He's got to come to my office and we've got to do some paperwork to, to formalize that. But God says, no, to him who believes, whoever believes, he gives the right to be called a child of God. You are adopted. We are all adopted into the family of God. And that is what enables us to praise Him. That's why we can praise Him. That's why we can say, hallowed be your name. Because our Father, what He's really saying is you're adopted. And it's from that adoption that we can actually praise Him. It's from that adoption where our hearts are melted with joy, with thankfulness, with amazement. It's incredible. You're given the rights. The very essence of being a Christian is given the rights of a child of God. And adoption is not a change of behavior, right? So when Madonna goes into Africa and adopts a child and she brings the child back from Malawi or whatever, right? That doesn't change the child's behavior, right? It's a formal status change. That child is with her. It's now her son. She signed the adoption papers. Whether that child behaves or not, it is her son. It's not based on performance. It's not based on the child's temperament. It's not based on the child's behavior. It's not based on them being good or bad. They are a son. They are now a son. It's a legal change. And it says, you're here whether you behave or not. You're here whether you behave or not. And Jesus says, Father, love them as you love me. Wow, how amazing is that? Father, love them as you love me. That's our amazing God. God is saying, I'm committed to every single one of you as I am committed to my own son, Jesus. I'm committed to you as I'm committed to my own son, Jesus. So that's, that's how you praise His power. It's His act of adoption. When a kid gets adoption, when Madonna's kid gets adopted, it's not their doing. They do nothing. Adoption is the act of the Father. Often the child has no idea what's going on. It's the act of the Father. Based on love, based on grace, based on mercy. How good is that? Can we thank Jesus here tonight?